This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Welcome back to Now with Dave Brown on AMI. I'm Alex Mighton for Dave. Paid assassins move among us without being noticed. They are ruthless and undetectable. Don't worry, I'm not talking about real life. That is the premise of the new Netflix film, The Killer. Entertainment critic Amy Amanti from Vancouver has her review of the film, but before we bring her in, let's take in this film uh, trailer clip right now. A man sits before a window. I find music a useful distraction. He inserts earbuds. A focus tool. Keeps the inner voice from wandering. At night, he slips on a balaclava and waits outside a door. He pulls a gun from the director of Seven, Fight Club, Gone Girl. This is what it takes. He stretches, cocks a rifle, and dresses in a grimy bathroom. My process is purely logistical. He prepares weapons, vehicles, and rooms. If I'm effective, it's because of one simple fact. I don't give a He shoots. That was a clip from the movie's trailer, The Killer. Let's welcome in Amy Amanti for her review. Hello, Amy. Good morning, Alex. How are you this Monday? I'm not too bad. I'm excited to chat about this film. I had a chance to take it in as well. So before I share my thoughts, obviously, I want to get your thoughts on this. So this movie stars Michael Fassbender and Tilda Swinton. So what was it about this movie that made you want to hit play? You know, originally when the trailer started to play, because, you know, you get these little teaser trailers when uh, it pops up in your Netflix feed as something that you might be interested in watching. Um, I started to listen to it a little bit. It sounded a little bit to me like the Dexter series. Did you ever watch the Dexter series? Oh, yeah. I watched it from start to finish, from the exciting uh, beginning to the the disappointing end. I was there for the entire ride. Right. Okay. So it was, uh, you know, the the, so the first what three seasons of it, notwithstanding the uh, new blood stuff, but the mm-hmm. uh, the the first three seasons of it, this idea of this killer, and of course, it, you know, it's slightly different, but the the way that uh, Dexter narrates uh, his own life. So this killer narrates what he's doing, and we hear this in the trailer. I thought, ooh, there's something evocative there, and I want to find out more. So that's really why I hit play. Um, I, well, we yeah. could we could we could expand that yeah. a little further. Alex, well, okay, so 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 let's build on that then. Let's yeah. build on that. So uh, this film, obviously, di- uh, directed by the great David Fincher, who is known for that atmosphere, that tense moments. Like the, the he has a real like mood and, and theme throughout all the films. And you heard the kind of some of the movies he uh, he's directed in that clip we played. Now this is also adapted from a French graphic novel series of the same name, The Killer. How do you feel the the novel series like translate into a film or onto the screen like this one? Do you feel like it, it's right for an adaptation? 
Well, certainly, you know, anytime we adapt a novel or a novel series or a graphic novel or any kind of book into a film or series, you know, a, a TV type genre, we have to look at things like they're two different entities, right? We always want to compare the book to the movie, that kind of thing. And really, they're very different mediums of art. So we have to we have to consider that. Um, that being said, I often think that when we try and take um, something that has been a series of books or novels or graphic novels, uh, you know, so several editions, uh, several episodes in print, and try and distill it into two hours, we miss out on a lot of richness that the books mm. or the series of books allow us to explore. And so I think, um, by proxy, there's a lot that gets lost in that. And I think that would be, you know, having not read the graphic novels, um, but knowing that that's exactly what happens in this kind of thing, that I really felt that in this movie, that I'm watching this movie feeling like, why am I watching this? What is the purpose? I feel like I'm missing out on some kind of larger story that even though it's really long and it feels really long, um, it's it's at least two hours, maybe a little bit longer than that, but it feels like four hours, like it feels long and drawn out, but you still feel like you are fundamentally missing out on storytelling somehow, right? I, that's how I felt. I just felt like there was stuff missing. It felt rushed, even though I felt like, when is this gonna be over? Yeah, well, and, and certainly uh, for me in watching this film, I love the the opening kind of, I guess, scene sequence, yeah. uh, like that, that opening act uh, to introduce, which is a majority of what was played in that clip. That, yeah. that scene, that narration, that really the setting up for- part. It was the it, it was great and and you could sense that that was that Fincher aspect uh, as a director building that tension slowly ratcheting it up building that intensity but having that that calmness from Michael Fassbender and then obviously as the film goes on it, it kind of flows from that thriller and, and crime uh, story to more of like kind of an action revenge piece so how do you think the film lived up overall especially on that strong start to the movie. Yeah, I mean, I think it is it is kind of toted as a bit of a, an action kind of thriller piece. And I actually didn't find that there was a lot of action or thrill to it, to be honest. Mm. Um, I liked the opening sequence very much. I liked this methodical, like, uh, introspective character building, this idea of getting deep inside the character's mind and was looking more, like, again, we saw that in Fight Club, right? We see that mm. kind of um, a way of, of the character opening up to us we feel like we can even though we're not killers we feel like we can relate somehow there's something that's been made deeply personal to us about these characters we're being let into the secret world of the inside of the character's mind and there's something really interesting about that only to have like this um thing that that happens that i'm not going to give away and then the character goes on a completely different trajectory um and you know it maybe is i guess supposed to be an action thriller only to there for there to really be one fight sequence that maybe is considered an action piece in this um, particular film. So again, then I just found it to be kind of like, went when kind of drawn out and kind of like, you know, get to the point here. And we all kind of know how this is supposed to end. Um, and is it, you know, is it gonna, you know, is it gonna meet the expectations of that? So um, then I found it to be like super predictable after that and no more like character introspection, you know, no more character development, no more interesting character stuff. 
Right. And in terms of, as you mentioned, there was that kind of major fight scene and this played is very, it's a chaotic, it's frantic. There's a mm -hmm. lot happening. How did the audio description do at capturing the phonetic energy of that action scene? I will say um, big kudos to Liz Gutman um, from IDC, who I've been listening to her description from uh, from the time that I reported on Bridgerton uh, on this platform where I criticized that description. <laughs> and I actually happened to be in a platform where I was sharing my disappointment in that description around the diversity piece of it. Um, uh, and Liz Gutman was in that space and she said, um, that was me that described that. Uh, <laughs> put her hand up and said, oh, that was me. And I had shared to her about that being how I was not unable to follow the story because there was a lack of that piece. And the, 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 the 180 change that she had made in how she writes her description because of that moment. Um, and her and I have kind of been connecting a little bit <clears throat> through Facebook over that. So now when I listen to her description, I can see the change in her because she has had um, she has been impacted by how community has responded to the way she writes things. So the nice thing about this fight sequence is that there is so much richness in terms of sentence structure and the different use of verbs. And oftentimes in fight sequences, there's like a lot of kicking and punching and la la la. And that's really all we get is kicks and punches and, you know, but there's a lot of different variation in the verbs and the sentences that make it really interesting to listen to. So it's like, you know, there's never there's never two punches thrown kind of thing. It's always a different kind of verb or a different kind of action, or the characters never fall the same way. There's 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 different different words that are being used, and that's really evocative to listen to. It's my analogy of when you go to buy a scented candle and you need the coffee beans in between mm -hmm. to like break up that sort of scent stimulation. That's what audio description is like for me. If you start every sentence with she or he, you know, he does this, he does that, he does this, he does that, and you're like, oh my gosh like break the record, right? So the sentence structure and the, the, the use of verbs and fight sequences, I think become really important. I, I love that description that you 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 did to explain the 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 importance and the variety that can come with the audio description and, and the impact that can have on the scene. Because as you say, Amy, like it's not two of the same punches being thrown there. It's a variety of punches and styles and everything visually being shown, but to capture that on the audio description is, is phenomenal. Now, that said, the audio description, it, it, it seems to be a very big positive for this film. For myself, this movie seemed like a bit of a, it lacked a bit of that that passion, that that heart, especially in once you got past that opening sequence from, from a director like David Fincher, from an actor like Michael Fassbender, Tilda Swinton, very well-known and well-respected uh, people involved in this film kind of fell flat to the end. What are your final thoughts and would you recommend this to someone to view? I think if you're somebody who's interested in um, in listening to quality description, you can hit play on this one and just listen to it for the description. Um, you know, if you're the kind of person who is consulting on description and want to, you know, learn more about what QC and description should and could feel like in quality description, this is a really good example of what some really rich description could look like. Otherwise, if you're just looking for like a fun movie to watch for a weekend, I would choose something else to hit play on. That's just my personal opinion. <laughs> <laughs> That's very fair. And I, I would echo the same thing, Amy. <laughs> thank Amy. Thank you so much uh, uh, for taking the time reviewing this film for us. Have yourself a wonderful week. Yeah, you as well, Alex.
That was Amy Amanti, who is the entertainment critic based in Vancouver, BC, and she reviewed the movie The Killer, which is currently streaming on Netflix. In a minute, Elizabeth Muller will be here for the entertainment report, but first, OpenAI has fired its CEO. Here's reporter Mike Dubusky with Tech Trends. On Friday, the board of OpenAI announced that CEO Sam Altman was out. OpenAI's board of directors had decided that Altman had not been totally transparent with them. Semaphore Tech reporter Louise Matsakis says it's all the more unusual because the company was doing well with high-profile partnerships and millions using its programs like ChatGPT. This was a company that was, you know, on a rocket ship. OpenAI is a nonprofit, but it has a for-profit company inside it. The nonprofit its stated goal is to provide a check on the company's for-profit efforts. Matsakis says that structure is what caused many to speculate that Altman had failed to thread the needle in the board's eyes. How much should they be considering things like profit versus ensuring that they're rolling out these AI tools in a way that's really safe? With Tech Trends, I'm Mike Dubusky, ABC News. And now it's time for the entertainment report with Elizabeth Moeller. And Elizabeth, you wanted to take this report to, to reflect on the life of uh, someone who transcended just entertainment, but it was more in the political space, but her presence was felt everywhere. Absolutely. Yeah, it really was. I mean, Rosalind Carter, who, of course, was the wife of uh, Jimmy Carter and closest advisor to Jimmy Carter passed away at age 96. Um, she served as first lady from 1977 to 1981. And she was a really big part of her husband's campaign in the 1960s when he was campaigning in Georgia. Um, she did care about performing arts and music and often would invite artists to the White House. She was also very well known for raising awareness about mental health and caregiving and women's rights. And, and just keep in mind too, this was in the 60s and 70s. Um, really a global humanitarian. And unlike many other first ladies, she in, attended many important meetings and talked about controversial topics. And she represented her husband on trips to other countries. And during her husband's time, it's interesting to note that she worked to remove stigma around mental illness and issues affecting older adults. She also led the President's Commission on Mental Health, and she worked with Habitat for Humanity. And she's also got a biography. It's called Lady of Plains, First Lady of Plains, and she's written a couple other books on caregiving as well as mental health. So with all that said, you know, talking about uh, Rosalind's life and her legacy, I wanted to ask you a question, Alex, and that is, what lessons can today's leaders learn from her commitment as we address the evolving needs of our communities? Yeah, I, I think that um, there there is a power to to being in in office and in, in a political space that I I don't see kind of the last few uh, if, if we're looking the U.S. side the first ladies mm -hmm. I, I uh, the the spouses of these leaders there, there's a great opportunity to to show the commitment and, and you uh, you highlighted some of the work she was able to do with their time in office and. The last few leaders, you, you're you're not really seeing that same level of of impact or um, kind of legacy being left behind, and and I think that maybe it's also how we're viewing political offices now. It it is become more that celebrity status, um, mm -hmm. whereas before it was the work, it was the intention, it was we're we're here to represent the people and do the best for the people, um, and even despite their their short time in office, they 
have stayed so active after uh, they left the political sphere to, as you mentioned, all the work they've done with Habitat for Humanity. When I was working with AMI out in, in Edmonton, I was, uh, they were covering uh, one of the, the builds that they were involved with. I, I didn't have an opportunity to, to, to meet and chat with them because they were very busy and they were going through multiple sites in, in a span of days, but it just showed their commitment, even in their mm -hmm. 90s, to still be at the sites, giving everything they had, doing the work, like just putting in that energy. I, I think that is something very unique. And I don't know if we're gonna continue to see that. So not only just putting forth the the awareness and, and supporting it financially, but being there, having the boots on the ground, supporting it, get, getting their hands dirty and literally yeah, lifting literally. Uh, lumber and, and hammering and screwing them yeah. in. I mean, I, I don't foresee other political leaders doing that. So I think that is certainly a lesson that could be taken mm -hmm. away and shown for yeah. the future. What do you think, Elizabeth? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I just, I, I really, what struck me when I was reading about um, Rosalind last night is the time, right? So we're talking, you know, 60s, very early 60s. I think it was 62 that she started to work with Jimmy on his first campaign in Georgia. Um, and I think about the time and where women's rights were. So we were sort of second wave feminism there. Um, and she really was talking about things that a lot of other women, especially especially a president's wife or a first lady would not be brave enough to talk about, like even something like mental health, which is still stigmatized, certainly back in the 70s, huge, huge stigma there. Um, you know, she did a lot of work sort of as a humanitarian. She did a lot of work too around, um, you know, talking about um, poverty and, and reducing poverty. So I think there was a real braveness to bring, when I think about the time, those issues forward. And the other thing was, you know, she, she wasn't, like you said, like other first ladies where she was the president's wife. She actually, in some spaces, um, is viewed as, as equal to or more of a politician than her husband. Um, and this was on an interview I listened to um, where, where they really talked about how she took these issues and championed them. Um, and he trusted her, in fact, so much that he sent her to many meetings sort of to represent um, the party on her own. So th there's just somebody that really sort of ahead of their time is what I think of when I think of this person. And I, I want to read the biography, um, First Lady of Plains, because it, I think it's going to be really interesting to hear more about what she's done there yeah absolutely and she will for sure be missed elizabeth thank you we'll You're check in later with you for the round table but for now it's time to head to break but coming up after the break i got a short regional news update brock richardson is here to recap a very busy weekend in sports you're watching now with dave brown on ami Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Hi, I'm Jenny Bovard. Join me monthly for Low Vision Moments, where I speak with awesome guests about some of the amusing things that happen when you're blind or partially sighted. Watch on YouTube or download Low Vision Moments from your favorite podcast distributor.